Hey folks, and welcome back to Encourage, Build, Grow. I am your host, Randy Wilburn, and I am excited to be here today. I've told you time and time again that I am currently working on the format of this particular podcast. I didn't want it to be like a former podcast that I did at my old company. I wanted it to be something new and different. I wanted it to be engaging. I really wanted to bring on a wide variety of people, design professionals, that is, that really have unique experiences and unique data and information to share with my audience. And so, again, you know, Encourage, Build, Grow, we simply focus on leadership development, communication, and ultimately personal development, which allows you to be the best design professional that you can be. And today, I have found an individual that I've known for some time, and he has actually had to stand under me in, in some classes that I've done some trainings for with his company, and just a really, really good guy. And, and he was a little reticent about coming on the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. He said right away that he would come and join us on this podcast, and I really appreciate that. But Charlie Hager is an assistant project manager at LJA Engineering. And Charlie, it's so good to have you on the show today. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. It is a warm Friday afternoon there in, in Austin, Texas, but you saw fit to take some time out to, to talk with our audience a little bit about what's happening in your world. So how are you doing today? Hey, Randy. Well, thanks for having me on and for that kind introduction. I do want to make one little footnote on that. I, I was recently promoted to project manager. So. Oh, yeah. Well, you need to change your LinkedIn profile because your LinkedIn profile says APM, but now you're a project manager, which is huge. That's great. So, And you're an owner. I mean, LJA is an ESOP, so you're also an owner. So that's the other nice part about it. But why don't you tell the audience just a little bit about yourself and, you know, and then I'll kind of get into the particulars of why I wanted to why I really wanted to invite you on this show so that we could have a talk. But just give us your, your quick superhero origin story. Yeah, great. Well, I do think I have an interesting perspective and I was really excited to come on to talk about it because my whole life I grew up going to construction sites and watching my father, who's also a professional civil engineer, bring construction plans home and explain things to me. And since a young age, all I've ever wanted to do was design and build sites and subdivisions. And, you know, I'd be going to my soccer games and my dad would be like, hold on, we got to stop and look at this site. And we'd be down looking at some culvert or something crazy. And so, yeah, my whole life, I knew I wanted to do civil engineering. I think it's a, a very, it's almost like an art form that got kind of lost on the world because what we design and ultimately that gets built, people have to use for 50 years. So if you design a driveway that's too steep and cars bottom out on, for example, you know, that's there in your city forever. And so I've always wanted to to design and, and make beautiful projects that people love to use and ultimately just have, you know, a successful career in that. So I went to school for civil engineering and immediately right out of school started working on economic development work in South Carolina and flew to China for one job and we ended up doing some engineering on a big tire plant on behalf of the state. And after a while, I, I knew I wanted to get into a bigger market and work on different variety of projects. So I Googled best places to work in Houston, Texas, civil engineering, because I knew Houston was going to be a good market. And all my high school friends, we made a pact when we were graduating. We, we hiked up in Boulder, Colorado. That's where I grew up. And we made a pact that we were going to go move to some city together and build some sort of an empire together. And so we, it was that time, it was about a year out of school, we all got on a call and said, all right, let's, 
let's move. Like the time is now. And so we picked Houston. And anyways, I did a Skype interview with LJ and got a job the next day and packed everything I could into my car and drove down and, and started working for LJ. And my group of friends, we, we just kept coming up to Austin every weekend. And I was driving down I-10 and I just looked up and I, I shook my fist in the air and I was like, I've had enough of this drive. I just want to stay in Austin. So we, the company Christmas party that we have in Houston, I just followed around all the Austin managers and just begged them to let me transfer. And within a short amount of time, they told me I could transfer and I started doing site development work in Austin and worked my way up from an engineering associate. I passed my PE and started managing projects and really expressed an interest to be a PM and recently was promoted. And now I, I manage projects all over Central Texas and, you know, big and small. And I work with a great group of people here and have a great group of clients that I love to work with. So that's basically how I got started. But just growing up, having the perspective, seeing my dad and always being around the industry, it's just been really awesome to grow up in that and then now be able to have my own my own little business here with LJ and just continue to grow and, and learn things every day. So that's kind of my background and, and how I, and I got to know you obviously going to do leadership training in Houston and you always taught us very interesting things and gave us new perspectives. And it really got me thinking about how I wanted, like what kind of a manager and what kind of a leader I want to be. So it's always been on my mind. Yeah, no, and I, I appreciate it. And I've always enjoyed having you in, in every training that I've had a chance to do there. I really enjoy hanging out with the folks at LJA. And, and I honestly remember when you guys were a lot smaller back in the 90s. And yeah, the firm has grown by leaps and about, they've even grown just in the past five years that I've re-engaged with you guys. And so not that we're going to make this a episode about LJA in particular, but I can't think of a better design firm, true design firm to hang your hat. If you're a, a, an engineer, if you're looking for a place for growth, if you're looking for a place where you can have a piece of the pie, so to speak, right? Because they are an ESOP uh, and be treated like a real individual with that has ideas the same way that Charlie is. It's a really good place to go to. And so, yeah. again, this, well, the purpose of that. No, it's, it's no problem. The purpose of this podcast isn't to extol all the virtues of LJA, but you certainly have benefited, I think, from the way that that operation runs. And Calvin Ladner there, who is the, the head man and all of the amazing people that are at that firm really know how to take care of folks. You have an amazing marketing department. Your HR department is amazing. Everybody from the top to the bottom is just, they're really good folks. And you certainly are part of that. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show is because that you and I had a conversation and we talked about a month ago when I originally wanted to propose the idea of you coming on because one of the conversations that I really want to have with young design professionals, you're 28 years old, You've been out of school for a little while now. You've had a chance to do a number of things and you've got, now, do you have your master's degree as well from USC or just your bachelor's? No, just, yeah, just my bachelor's. Bachelor's, and, okay. Um, you know, civil and environmental engineering. Yeah. And but, I don't, um, I'm sorry, I don't mean it by just your bachelor's. I mean, that's, that's big enough. I only have a bachelor's and that's, that's been more than sufficient for me. I know that, you know, I mean, USC has a pretty good engineering program and I've talked to a lot of people that have come out of there that have done really well for themselves. So, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. But I think our conversation gravitated towards just this idea of, 
you know, how do you, when, when you're a young engineer like yourself or a young architect for that matter, because, you know, we have a lot of different people from different yeah. fields listening to this podcast, you know, how do you navigate the waters and how do you set yourself up for success in an industry that has historically been the type of industry where you've got to really pay your dues before any doors truly get opened up to you? And it looks like either you've kicked doors down or you've just knocked enough that people got tired of it <laughs> and have said, you know yeah. what, Charlie, just come in. Just like you said with, you know, your interactions with the Austin managers and, and getting you to transfer to Austin, which I think was was a great opportunity for you. But just would you could you talk a little bit about that? And I want to kind of delve into that because that still is an issue that this industry faces when you're getting so many young people that are coming out of school that want to try a lot of different things. But firms sometimes just have a box for these folks to come into and they want to keep them in that box. And, and it's a nice, neat box in the way things work. And I think the industry's changing. And I think firms have to recognize the talent that's coming out of schools nowadays and have to be able to accommodate them. Yeah. So I think, you know, we had such a good conversation and you proposed a topic that I really want everyone to take away from today. Just we all need to understand the differences in leadership between the generations. And there is this huge, not really problem, but there's this huge thing going on where you have very traditional older folks that are have run very successful businesses that are stepping down and looking to change the guard, so to speak. And they're passing it down to a different type of generation and different type of person. And we need to understand those differences. So I, I guess when you asked, when we had that conversation and I did some homework and I I interviewed about 50 peers across a lot of different industries, different ages, and I put together kind of a list of, of things that we should understand about each other. And, and I want to offer some kind of just some suggestions to each on things we could do better to work together better and to train each other and mentor each other better and create systems and companies that are successful and will continue to help companies be profitable. And I think it really just comes down to the younger generation, my generation. We grew up a lot differently. We grew up in a time where, you know, we never had to wait at a bus stop or a playground because we could just text our parents, hey, I'm ready to go. Soccer practice is over. Come pick me up. And we we got used to solving problems, you know, using the new technology of cell phones and, you know, like paying for a Starbucks with an app and, and also being able to multitask more because we had new tools and new strategies. And we're very used to that instant gratification. and instant feedback, things, even like, you know, you go on a vacation and you post a photo of some sunset or something on your Instagram or Facebook, you know, and all your friends comment and and like it or whatever. And we get that feedback in our social lives. And then we get to work and we realize, oh, it's actually a lot different here. It's not this, it's not this world where, you know, we're getting graded all the time and we know where we stand. Oh, like, oh, I got an A on that last project. I'm doing great. Or, oh, I got a C on this project. You you never really know. You just kind of have to show up and do your best and understand that the older generation isn't that way. So, and also just to expand that a little bit more is like all the leaders of our companies have gotten where they've got because they've had grit and they've had patience and they've endured longer than their peers. They stayed in their desk longer. You know, they didn't change companies all the time and they didn't explore other career opportunities. They stuck it out to gain the experience needed to be successful. And we grew up seeing people like 
the guy who invented the dog cleanup thing, like the pooper scooper. He, <laughs> that guy, that guy was like seven when he invented <laughs> that and went on to, to be very successful, you know, selling a little dog cleanup device and watching the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world create technologies that, you know, took them from nobodies to billionaires. And we saw how people, you know, advertise things online and, and use new creative strategies to win work and and then grow their businesses and, and coming up with just creative products and in this kind of new era of entrepreneurialism. And so we all think we get out of school and we think, oh man, like my time is coming. Like I just put in all the work I needed and I'm going to go in there and, and just kind of like mess stuff up and, and be successful right away. And you realize it actually takes a lot of time. And the older generation sees the youngsters as these know-it-all impatient people who think that experience doesn't matter as much. And we don't understand the time it takes to be successful in a high stakes industry that we're in. It takes a lot of time and you have to be super patient. And and it becomes frustrating for us. Like, for example, we have a goal. Like my goal is to be a project manager. I get that promotion and I look back at how long it took and it's a little deflating. It's like, man, that took me a long time to get to the point where my clients and my company trust me to have more autonomy <laughs> to run a project. And it's like, man, how long am I going to wait till I'm doing 3 million in billing? Like, oh, am I going to have to, am I going to have to be patient another 20 years? And the answer is yes, <laughs> because there's so much that I have to learn. And, you know, even the guys at the top, they learn things every single day and there's no shortcuts to that success. And, and across the board, that's one of our, my generation's biggest challenges is just understanding that they have to be patient and put in the time and respect that the people above them have endured so long to get where they are. But also understanding that once you put in that time, the doors will start opening up faster and faster. It's like a big curve where it's very, very, very flat for a while and then it starts going up. So you may wait 20 years to do a million in billing, but then it may take six months to double that because right. you have gotten to the spot where you're at. So that's just something I've noticed and, and seen my whole life. And I think there's that difference is something that we all need to understand. But, you know, our the bosses and the, the top guys at all these firms need to understand our point of view, too, and put in systems to their company that show that they understand that and set the younger generation up for success. And there's things that they can do that we can talk about later. But, yeah, that's just one of the things that I, I really wanted to talk on today after our talk. And and just from talking to all these guys and, and gals that I know, that seemed a very, a very common trend and a very popular thing that everyone said. So do you think your peers that you spoke to, and I really appreciate you doing all that extra legwork. Now you're going to, now I have to send you a check in the mail. So I, <laughs> I appreciate that. But, and that, that is, that's great because I mean, it, it concurs with a lot of the data points that I have received just talking to people on a regular basis, because I always just check in with folks to see how things are going. Maybe people that I've placed in the past at different firms and want to mm -hmm. find out how their career trajectory is going. But is it a, do you find that it's a general sense from the peers that you spoke to, that's an acceptable part of the process? Or do you also, do you find that some of your peers are a little bit more anxious with regard to having to wait for so long to either be recognized or to be acknowledged and or given opportunities to do things that they in their minds feel like they can do right now? Yes, I think people are anxious. They see people and we see people in tech companies, you know, that get to go travel and work from Switzerland or get to take, you know, Fridays off 
to work on personal projects and have little like idea charrettes within the office to, to implement new strategies and new ways to communicate and stuff like that. Like there's all these exciting tactics that businesses are doing to let their people know they're valued and part of the team, which help. But there is also that like anxiousness, like, all right, like I've done 25 projects. I know what I'm doing. I'm ready for the next step. And leaders of companies are saying, well, that's actually a huge risk if we start putting all these people into leadership positions without the proper experience, because that's scary, because that means that that if they mess up or don't know how to handle even a small amount of success, that the whole house of cards could fall down and that people, you know, no longer would have jobs or we lose important clients and now our revenue is messed up for the year. So it is like <laughs> there is some anxiousness, but and that's why I wanted to come on and just remind people like it's going to take a lot of time to be successful in this industry because it's very high stakes and there's so much you have to learn. And it's not just going to come to you. Like, there's no shortcut to gaining experience. But also, on the same note, like, leaders can do things to help prepare their staff and their future leaders so that when they are handed the keys, they're not just flipping a switch on the skill sets required to be successful. They've actually been training them for 10 years on the things that they need to know and have so that when they are given the keys, they're ready for it. And it's not like a scary of a transition. Yeah. And you bring up a good point is that preparation piece, right? Now, you talk to a lot of your peers. Did you teach, speak mostly to people that work with you currently, or did you speak to some folks that maybe you went to college with that work at other firms too? Yeah, I spoke with like everybody I knew. You know, when we, you know, if we were out at like a brunch or something, I'd be like, all right, everybody, I want you yeah. to tell me what's the biggest difference between our generation and the older in the work in the older generation in the workplace. And like, Basically, the main things that came up was just work-life balance. There seems to be a gap in understanding of, of what that means. There seems to be a gap in understanding the use of technology and communication tools. There seems to be a gap in mentorship and recognition and a gap in what benefits and culture mean. And also changing jobs as well is something that people brought up a lot is our generation's a lot more like cool with changing jobs more often and exploring different opportunities and and getting kind of feeling pigeonholed faster and and not wanting to wait it out as long they want all right well i've done that gig for four years i'm ready to go do something else whereas the older generation's like no i this is it and i'm going to keep i'm going to stick to it and and not change jobs because i know that's going to set me back and and not do as well for me so those seem to be the main themes that came up yeah, that and that is a recurring. Those are re, those are all. Everything that you just mentioned are all recurring themes that 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 we have heard for years, and certainly they play out over and over again. And I think my challenge with that is that first of all, firms need to be forward thinking in how they engage their younger staff. And I, I guess exactly. I guess that you are probably experiencing leaders within LJA that are forward thinking enough to engage you like the fact that you know honestly even though the trainings that I've done with you guys in the past there've been a wide variety of people in those rooms which I'm always amazed at normally when I do trainings like that they have more seasoned individuals in the room people that are over 35 yeah. plus but there were a bunch of people in there that were under 30 even some maybe even under 25 that were in that room and I was amazed by that. And I think it's just that exposure 
kind of gets people ready to be thinking differently about their career and what the trajectory looks like and, and almost gets you, you know, excited about how you prepare and maybe you prepare differently. I think that, I just think it's, I just find it interesting. And so you're concurring with a lot of the data points and information that I have. And, and I really wanted people to hear that because those are the things that every firm needs to be working on. Work-life balance, use of technology and communication, mentorship, which is huge. And the thing that I'm always surprised at is that there are a lot of firms out there, Charlie, that really have no formal mentoring programs whatsoever. And, yeah, and that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. You know, you talked about benefits and culture, and then also just this whole idea of changing jobs, which is not heresy. I remember before, back in the, in the 90s, when I first got into the design industry, and I, I did recruiting for um, a company that's no longer in existence, Carter & Burgess, but they wanted, their concern was always, how many jobs has this person had? They always wanted somebody that had been at like one or two places their whole career. And anything yeah, we, we've interv- yeah, we've interviewed candidates and we get out of the interview and the boss goes, well, they were great, but you know, they've bounced around a lot. So I don't know if we can really invest in these, in this person. <laughs> it's like, and I'm thinking, well, they seem sharp and they seem like they may like it here. So let's give them a shot. <laughs> yeah. But here, here's the thing. And this is what I want firm leaders and firm owners to think about. What if those individuals have bounced around because they've never got the nurturing and the care and the mentoring and leadership that they needed? Why would, would you fault them yeah. then? Right. Because most people don't say that. Most people don't say, I left job A because I wasn't mentored. I never got any formal mentoring or any formal training. I left job B because the benefits were bad and nobody in HR would ever talk to me. I left job C because, I mean, it just goes, we never dig deeper to find out why people leave. And I think, I always say, whenever I would recruit somebody and the response from the hiring manager would simply be, yeah, but this person has been a lot of places. I'm like, talk to them and find out why. Now, I always ask why as a recruiter when I would do recruiting, but I tell hiring managers and anybody that's hiring and even you, when you talk to somebody, you've got to engage them and find out the why behind. There's, a, there's always a reason, right? Now, sometimes yep. it can be purely financial and that's fine too. I don't, I don't fault anybody for that. Everybody should be paid the wage that they think that they're worth. But I still think that we need to ask the question and find out the why behind why people are doing it. And especially, you're right, with more and more young people trying to find that place. I can't fault a young, you know, female engineer or female architect that's trying to find a home where she can see other people like herself and she can be nurtured so that she can grow in her career. Like sometimes it's hard for like a woman engineer or a woman architect to work around a bunch of guys and there's no other, there's no other females that she can even see that can show her what her career can look like in the long term. And that's part of the whole diversity and inclusion piece and why that's so important. And I believe this industry is doing a lot to improve, but we still have a long way to go. But it's one of the reasons why, you know, you wonder why people move around. Sometimes they're just looking for a good home. And then once they find it, then it's hard to get them to leave. Well, and I think the, the thing that LJ does really well, and it's like, just put yourself in the shoes of a, a CEO. You say, how do I keep my best people happy? And or how do I keep them from leaving and going somewhere else or taking recruiter calls all the time? Well, I think the best way to do it is let people become owners of the firm day one when they start. So try to set up some sort of, like profit sharing or a stock, like we have an ESOP 
let people know, especially the younger folks, let them know that they are owners and they are part of the company so that when they work late and bust their time to get something done, they know that they're growing their own net worth because they're increasing the profits of the company. And if you get an entire company of a thousand people with that mentality, then you have a really beautiful thing going. But if you don't let people become owners, what's the incentive for them to, to you know, not go chase the next dollar or, you know, at another firm or take some big signing bonus? You know, if they know they're owners and they know they're part of it and they know that they're valued and it's very clear in the culture, you're going to have way less turnover and you're going to have people who have had 15 jobs saying, you know what, I think I'm good here. Yeah, yeah. So. And I, yeah, and you bring up a good point. Now, I, I certainly recognize that there are a lot of people listening to this, and you know this, that there are a lot yeah. of firms that don't that are not set up as ESOPs and they don't have a huge ownership group. It might be 10 people out of 100. So 10% are owners. And so there are a couple of other things that I do think that firms can do to keep their people engaged. I think that they can professionally develop the heck out of them, right? Because a, totally a, a lot of firms don't do that just the basic stuff, but then they can also develop them personally and they can create other retention tools that can benefit them. I mean, I was just talking with somebody, I was Facebook, somebody sent me a, sent a message and I just happened to be part of the thread and they were talking about, they just found out my company has a new benefit. She said, my company has a new benefit. They are now paying student loan debt. I'm never leaving this place, exclamation mark. And that was it. Now she has no ownership in the company, but the simple fact that the company is willing to take care of student loan debt, which we know the average student coming out of college has $35,000 in student loan debt. And I know that that's not everybody's situation, but we know that a lot of people struggle with that. There are a lot of other ways to show an employee that you are all in with regard to them, right? So not everybody can benefit from an ESOP program like an LJA has, but there are other ways to skin the cat when it comes totally. to, you know, creating an environment that is nurturing and an environment that encourages retention. And so there are a lot of other things. So I don't want anybody listening to this think, man, okay, I'm not an ESOP, so I'm screwed. No, you're not. You just have to get creative. There are a lot of other ways to do it. I think that the, 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 lowest, the least cost, the, the least, the most cost effective way is just really going over the top with your professional and personal development. There is a statistic out there, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but the financial training industry that does a lot of financial classes like financial fitness and things of that nature have shown that if for every dollar of financial fitness training that a firm does, they get a three to one return on investment. So, I believe that. That yeah, makes a lot of sense. It does. It does. Because let, let, let put it this way. If I, if I took 30 of your peers and helped them get out of debt or showed them how to balance their checkbook, which most people don't know how to do anyway, even engineers and architects aren't the greatest when it comes to handling their budgets. I mean, yes, you guys know how to handle a spreadsheet. And I'm being funny. It's tongue-in-cheek humor. But <laughs> the bottom yeah. line is not the assumption is, oh, well, they're engineers, so they're really good at math. They're really smart. Yeah, that might be the case. But I mean, we don't, we don't teach balance. We don't teach how to handle a checkbook at, you know, in school. We don't do any of that stuff. So a lot of kids coming out of school just don't have some of those necessary skills. And if they didn't get it at home through their parents, if they get it at their job and it makes a difference for them, they're going to be hard pressed to walk away from a place that has helped equip them to be successful 
not just in their career, but in life. And those are, to me, are the, are the, the affordable ways that firms can really make a difference in the lives of their employees, even if they're not, even if they can't offer them ownership, even if you, can't, you just can't do it right now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's a solo owner and he just, he just can't offer ownership because the young people just can't afford to do it and he can't create. I mean, there's all kinds of creative ways to do that. And, and certainly anybody listening to this that wants to talk about options that they have, I'd be more than happy to put you on to some people that can help guide you as to how you can create ownership or a vehicle for ownership through your organization if you've never really done it. But the bottom line is what Charlie is saying is accurate. And people need to understand that you need to use everything in your arsenal to engage your employees early and often, especially the young group of folks that are peers of Charlie in that, what I would say, that sweet spot of 25 to 35, because those are your future leaders. I mean, you are a future leader at LJA. I mean, you are becoming a leader now, but I mean, you you are you and your peers are the ones that are going to be running that company in the next 10 to 15 years, if not sooner. Yeah. And so, ex- yeah, exactly. So like some other, you know, it's just some other like systems that that the leaders can do to to help, you know, help grow talent from within. It's just even writing like very clear documents that show career paths and create multiple career paths for different types of people. So, you know, you could have the leadership route where, you know, you, you be, you'd be very explicit about the time requirement too. Like, okay, after five years, you know, you would be an APM and after 10 years, you'd be a project manager. And, and these are the things you have to have mastery in and be very clear because we like knowing exactly what it's going to take to get there. And we want to make sure, you know, especially when we're not getting the feedback that w- that we like, it's good to have like tracks that we can get on. Or maybe it's we're just going to be design people. You know, we, we're not as outgoing and, and we're more of a type B personality. We, we'd rather just stay internal and just get really good at designing projects and, and champion. Let that let people know that that's an awesome route to go and say, all right, to be like a senior engineer, it's going to take 15 years and and it's going to take this, this, and this. And so create very clear and transparent career paths that people can get on. And, uh, you know, it, it helped develop people along the way so that when they get there, they're, they're not just flipping on their, their, this new skill set and that they're actually ready for it. So, like, that's a really good way to do it. Or even create, like, a future leader group where they meet once a month and you buy them lunch and they can sit and talk. They can have financial advisors come in and talk about investments and, and, and maybe even create like a future leadership group where the company puts aside, you know, $500 per quarter per person in that. And it's like a fund where you can get dividends on or, you know, you have to sign a non-compete every year to be a part of it or something like that. So, you know, you're not just, it's less risky from from the company's standpoint, but there's what, yeah, just like you said, there's ways you can create ownership and let people know they're valued and a part of this team. Um, and they're not just another, you know, number on the spreadsheet. And then, you know, another thing that, you know, in, in doing all this research for this podcast, it was just like, you should let people know that they have value in the group. And even, even if it's like an intern who's just binding reports, like sit down and explain to them how much value this adds by having them do these reports very well and let them know what piece of the puzzle that they are completing on a project and know that their their effort is actually like very instrumental on projects being done successfully. And even even like when bosses pull their younger engineers aside and say, hey, I got this 
new project, can you put together the proposal for it? And I'll review it and, and end up signing it and, and putting my final touches, but let them kind of peer around the corner every chance you get. You know, bring some of your younger folks out to client meetings or, or client things so they can start understanding what it means to have professional business relationships with people. You know, let them sign them up for industry events so they can get out and network and go to the happy hours and start kind of making a name for themselves and let them know that you support that. Don't keep us in the shadows too long because we we like recognition and we like knowing that what we're doing is very valuable and, and make sure people get that feedback. I would say managers all need to increase the feedback they give by at least 10 times. Yeah. Like if you're doing one review a year, you're creating a ton of confusion for your staff because they don't know where they're at and they need to know what they're good at and they need to know what they need to be working on. Because trust me, if you tell a millennial, you could do a lot better at this. They are going to come into work every day wanting to get better at that. Like, hey, you're really good at design, but your report writing and technical writing ability needs some work. Here's a good book that I use to get good at it. Here's some good go-bys on, on really good reports that you can use as a reference. Start helping these, helping your staff along the way get good at, at these hard skills and even soft skills, just understanding how to, you know, like let them know how you handled a tough situation where a client didn't want to pay or stuff like that. So when they get to where they need to be, they know some strategies on how to handle things and, um, you know, make that a part of your culture because we really like knowing that, you know, our, what we're doing is good and we're on a good path and we're not getting behind. We want to know that we're always moving forward every day. Even even if we need to learn to be more patient, we need to know that that we're still on the right path and that our little mistakes along the way are actually good. Like it's okay that you made a mistake. Now you're not going to make it the next time and 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 stuff like that really helps. And then also a, a thing that I think we all need to do in this industry more is we need to teach good habits about finishing projects. You know, everyone loves to start a new project. That's the that's fun. Everyone loves to get a project done. But when it comes to those final steps of closing things out and acceptance and, and getting things complete, that's when like interest usually tails off. So instead of just putting people on a task by task thing, really let them be on the project team and be a, a really good contributing team member. I mean, we we grew up working in groups like our whole life and we we love working with groups. <laughs> so keep us in and on project teams from start to finish to build those habits because so many people have bad habits about finishing things they start and make that a part of your culture as well. And then, you know, to my generation, we need to let our bosses know, like, look, we're not just, we don't want to participate in metal just because we showed up to work every day. We don't want like a raise and a big bonus just because we came to work every day like we're supposed to. Like, let them know we're the kind of people who finish the races we start and we want to deserve the raises we get in the promotions we get. We we really want to earn it and we need to know exactly what it's going to take to earn those. Yeah. And they want to be part of the conversation, right? That's even happening yep. in the C-suite at the leadership level. They want to be part of that conversation. Not that they have to be given a title, but it's just, hey, me in the loop because I think I, I can bring some value to what you're doing. Like, hey, really good job. You, uh, you know, when you started, you were finishing projects just under the budget. But on that last one, I just want you to know you spent X hours and it cost, you know, your time on the project cost this much to the budget, but you were able to finish it with $2,000 left over. And that's a huge improvement. And we want to continue to see that kind of stuff. Like not a lot of firms are, are roping people in on, on 
on how financially people are affecting the projects and and that kind of stuff really goes a long way. I mean, if you have a whole group of of staff members that are like very conscious about that and and really want to do well, I mean, you're going to make more profit. And it is a little scary because you have to be a lot more transparent, but I think the benefit outweighs the risk there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you said something else earlier, which I think is important that firms need to hear. And that's simply just the fact that acknowledge the elephant in the room that everybody's being recruited, everybody's being called and contacted. And I think if you prepare your feet people for that and don't treat it as if it's some, you know, don't talk about that because we don't want people being taken away. I mean, a good firm you know, it's a mark of a good firm if all your people are being called. That means you've, you've created some good folks. And recruiting that's done in this industry, for the most part, are only done by a handful of people. I mean, yeah, you have your Aerotechs. I mean, you have your, um, your Aerotechs and some other large-scale contingency recruiting firms. But most of the recruiters, I come in contact with the same people that have been around for the last 20-plus years in this industry. And this industry is very bespoke when it comes to recruiting. And so if you're getting calls or if your people are getting called all the time, you need to train them and help them understand, hey, you know, the reason why you're getting called is A, you're in a good shop and B, you're good. And we just want to acknowledge that. So you, you I think if anything, probably yeah. tra- train people to be able to do some information gathering, to learn a little bit more about, you know, what people are looking for. And I always tell people when I, whenever I recruit them is like, listen, you don't have to take any jobs that I'm talking to you about. but I think it's always good to know what your competition's doing and it's always good to maybe that because that might be a point of leverage for you as you go back and, oh, you know, so-and-so, they're looking for this thing. They must have a bunch of new work coming down the pipeline or whatever. And, you know, it's just good to be aware of that because you always want to know, even though I think firms should focus on what's in front of them, you always want to know what's out there in the marketplace. And a lot of times when there is increased recruiting activity in certain areas, then you know that there's you know, there's always some other things going on out there outside of your organization. So, and companies shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. A lot of times people talk about recruiting in hushed tones where it's like, don't, you know, don't talk about that because I don't want any of my people to start thinking about making a change, but it's just educating them on, you know, what this looks like. Because even young people will start to get those calls after a while. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, you kind of want your your staff getting called because it, it means you're doing something right. But exactly, you, exactly. you want to be confident that you that you have an organization with systems in place that you know are bulletproof and that your staff want. And the key to that is just really understanding like what kind of a culture you want within your within your organization. And I think once people nail that down, they really figure out who they are and they know what kind of people they want, and and that really helps. I mean, for example, like. Our mantra here is we as a company do everything we can do to take care of our people so that they can go take care of our clients. Mm -hmm. And so everything we do, every system we have in place, every benefit we have here is to make sure we have good people that are taken care of so that they don't have to worry. And, And then that allows them to have freedom and comfort in really getting to work and doing their job and taking care of their business and what they have to do. So. I think if if we all can embrace that more, I mean, we're gonna we're all as an industry are gonna do a better job, especially because a lot of times, and it's kind of this weird thing where it's like civil engineering and architecture. It's like we're almost like this necessary evil in a project. Like someone wants to to do some development, they're like, oh, God, I'm gonna have to go hire all these consultants to get this project done, and 
if we remind people that like we're actually we're actually really valuable to the project from even like a management standpoint, helping developers and clients see what's around the corner and teeing up the next step for them and making their life easy and using our relationships with you know different agency reviewers and stuff to help have more seamless projects. We actually kind of help ease that like weird feeling of that or just like some burden on on some project, you know? Listen, no, you got, you said a mouthful because you guys are invaluable. I'm even working on a project right now for my HOA. I happen to be the president of the the HOA that I live in and um, we're just doing a pool project and that's maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars. But I got to tell you, if it wasn't for the geotechnical engineers that we have that have helped us bridge the gap and find subs and find other mm-hmm. contractors that can help us out, we would be up a creek without a paddle. I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah. really. And, and, and they have truly been invaluable. They take my calls at all times of the day and the night, and they're mm-hmm. there to answer questions. And it really has been helpful. And I, I, you know, being on this side of it and experiencing it as a consultant and then going on that side and being the client, it's really, you know, I'm really impressed with the way that they operate. I mean, and they, the, I mean, you guys, I've always said this about the design industry. I mean, you guys have one of the most important jobs out there. And I think young people, I mean, I think obviously older people appreciate it, but sometimes we, we forget. And sometimes we have to be reminded that what engineers and architects and environmental consultants and planners and construction management, landscape architects, what you guys do is important. And it is something that people should certainly take stock of and understand that it's, it's an important industry. Anybody that works in that industry has a very important role. I don't, th- I don't care if they've just gotten out of school one or two years ago or they've been in the industry for 25 years. It's an important role. And uh, I certainly appreciate it. And I think more and more people, when they fully understand all that you guys do, they appreciate it. Because even like you said, you mentioned it earlier about looking at a culvert. You know, people think, well, what, you know, that's just a ditch. And I'm like, no, that, those things actually get engineered and designed for safety sake, yeah, for, yeah. for, you know, it's like, they, it's not just a hole that's just left over after all the construction work is done. All of that is designed with an intent to keep the public as safe as possible and to provide yep. whatever necessary means that is supposed to be provided, whether it's for water runoff, whether it's for, you know, safety, if a car rides off a road, any of that, all of that is engineered to a degree that uh, sometimes I don't think the, the general public appreciates. Yeah, no, I I think so. I mean, I drive around with my wife all the time and I'm like, I'm like, wow, look at that V-notch ditch over there. That's crazy. <laughs> She's like, no, this is just a highway. I'm like, no, there's so much going on here. I, how can you not see it? Yeah, that's hilarious. That is funny. So, but that, that's what, you know, that's, that's what's to be appreciated about this industry. And, and, uh, I have certainly, uh, enjoyed being a part of it for over 20 years. And, you know, that, that's kind of what it's all about, but Man, I, I have I have held you for quite some time here, held held you hostage. And I first of all, I just I just want to say I really appreciate you doing the due diligence that you did. And you kind of basically took the idea that I had and ran with it and took it to a whole nother level. But there have been so many nuggets of wisdom that you have dropped today. I really, really appreciate it. And I think we'll probably want to bring you back on. I mean, you you are writer, you you have been part of a, a book that was published. I mean, so you're doing a lot of things. And there's even other conversations that I'd like to have because I think one of the interesting dynamics that we're finding now more so than before is this, this whole idea that individuals can be engineers and architects and maybe have 
other things that they work on on the side, you know, yeah, of side hustle or things of that nature. Where as before, that was heresy, right? And some of some of some of the leaders that are in firms like LJA and others were like, well, no, my only focus has always been my profession, and that's it. But yeah. nowadays, people are walking and chewing gum at the same time, and it is it's kind of interesting to see how that dynamic is managed. And that's like a whole conversation for a whole different time. Because well, I'd be happy. I'd be happy to talk. I, I have so many ideas and I'm just, I've live and breathe this industry. It's my, I will go to bed thinking about stuff and projects and, and ways to be more successful and just the way the industry could do better. And there's just so much exciting stuff going on. And we're, we really are living in a new time and in this industry that it seems so traditional. I mean, it was like, you know, it's like if a bomb went off, the the only job left would be civil engineers and architects and <laughs> right, construction right. people. But it's like, but you know, we're we're now in this new modern age, and and we really just need to embrace everything. And it's exciting to see where things are going. Yeah, no, no, I th- I think it's great. Well, we will put a pin in this conversation, and we will resume at a later date and time. We'll we'll bring you back, and and we'll have some further conversations, and maybe yeah. some of the other episodes that we do will spur some ideas that you have, because again, part of what I'm trying to do is to engage this next generation of leadership, this next generation of design professionals that are getting into the industry. Because here's the issue. We don't have enough people graduating in the STEM environment, whether it's science, technology, engineering, we just don't have enough. And we need to start encouraging, even at, a, at the grade school level, young boys and young girls that being an engineer, being an architect can be really cool. There are all kinds of opportunities. And as the industry expands, there's going to be way more room for more people. But as it stands right now, there are a lot of firms out there that can't fill all the needs that they have. And that's just because there's just not enough people available. So there's a lot of work to be done. And I'm sure you're going to play a role with that. And figuring out ways to engage even just the people in your neck of the woods down there in Austin. And, and so yes, sir. I look forward to seeing what you're able to do. But uh, Charlie, thank you so much for, for joining us today on Encourage, Build, Grow. We really, really appreciate yeah. it. And uh, like I said, we will have you on this episode again. If uh, folks want to reach out to Charlie, we will put his contact information in the show notes so that you can reach out and interact with him and, and um, touch bases. But he's over at uh, LJA Engineering based out of Austin. and uh, But LJA is actually headquartered in Houston, Texas, Midtown area, I think. And, and so, but uh, great firm. If you're coming out of school and you're looking for a firm to work for, I couldn't think of a better place to go than LJA. And that's the, kind of the end of the, the marketing piece for them. But certainly, Charlie is an example of the kind of engineers and designers that they are producing there at LJA. So if you like what you heard and you, you want to experience more of that, we'll make sure that you have contact information in there for them and, and specifically for Charlie. But thanks again, Charlie. And I will yeah. catch up. I will catch up with you soon and we'll talk a little bit more. And like I said, we'll, we'll come up with another, there'll be some other topics that we'll bring up and, and bring here to encourage, build, grow. And like I said, this is still in the development phase. So people that are listening, please bear with us. It's only going to get better. But honestly, this conversation right here that we just had was well worth the price of admission. And since the admission was free, you can't beat it. (laughs) Well, and can I just say, Randy, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed talking with you. And to the audience listening, I appreciate your time and hearing what what we had to say today. And please reach out to me. And uh, if anyone has any feedback or questions or, or just wants to learn more about 
some of the stuff we talked about. I would love to connect with you and, and you can find me on LinkedIn at Charles Hager and then, you know, the show notes. But yes, yeah, seriously, Randy, thank you so much. I, I really love being a part of this and I'm excited to see where the podcast goes and, and where you take everything. And I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. Well, there you have it, folks. Charlie Hager, project manager from LJA Engineering out of Austin, Texas. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Encourage, Build, Grow. We will be right back with you next week dealing with another topic uh, surrounding this area for design professionals. And uh, we'd love to get your feedback. If you have any comments or thoughts about the show, about topics that we're covering, please reach out to us. Uh, You can check us out at encouragebuildgrow.com. You can check out the show notes at encouragebuildgrow.com. And uh, there's a lot of information and data points for you right there. So we look forward to catching up with you next week. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and this has been another episode of Encourage, Build, Grow. I'll see you soon. Oh.